Well, welcome everyone to Life in the Peloton. I'm sitting here again with Lionel Burney and we're ready to discuss this week's episode featuring one of Life in the Peloton's favourites and one of my good friends, Adam Hansen. Welcome, Lionel. Hi, Mitch. How are you doing? I'm doing well, actually. Yeah, just um, had a big day of uh, ergo today or Zwifting and racing and sweating and um, feeling pretty good at this moment. I've had a, a nice big lunch, a cup of coffee, you know, I'm set up for the day. I'm ready. Excellent. Excellent. And this is an episode with Adam Hansen recorded in what feels like another lifetime ago. You were back at the Tour Down Under when you recorded this one, when, when life was, well, a lot more normal than it is now. Yes, that's right. It's come to a bit of a routine for us. Three years in a row running there at Two Down Under, I've sort of pulled him aside and said, hey, Adam, you got a moment? Let's try and get a podcast in. And after we did that first one, and especially the second one, I couldn't uh, go past the opportunity of trying to get a third one. And um, it was great, actually. Again, another little angle and another great chat with him and a lot of time at that race. But weirdly, it's hard to find a moment to sit down where both of us aren't busy doing something so um we were able to find a little moment and get this one recorded i've kept this one in the in the back catalog to look to a special time and i thought now's the moment i'm simply asking adam three questions what's something he's currently excited about what's something he's no longer doing and what's something that's wacky crazy quick fix adam hansen and i thought you know when you listen to this podcast you have to keep reminding yourself that adam is actually a professional cyclist and has been and you're listening to him you think this guy is well-rounded person i don't know what better way to say that just he's just incredible so three simple questions that i thought he would have some great answers to so sit back and enjoy this one guys because i was just sitting back and loving it Well, this is the annual. We're at Tour Down Under, Adam Hansen, 2020. It's a new year. That means it's time for a new podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me again. I'm really happy that you agreed to it. Um, we was hard to find a time here. It's always very busy. And you were just explaining to me your schedule. I thought I had quite a busy schedule, but you've trumped me there. Um, and we had to catch up out on the bike today. First time we've chatted pretty much the whole race. And we're at the second last stage of the race. Yeah, it's like you said, um, you know, we always say the most convenient thing about the Tour Down Under is, you know, one hotel, one village, it's so easy, but all the media's at the same hotel, you're easy accessible, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, very time consuming here. It is, so let's not waste too much more time then, and let's get into this podcast. This is an exciting idea um, I had in the off season, I thought, I heard this idea on another podcast, and... What I want to talk to you today about is I've got three questions. The first question being, what is something that you're currently excited about? The second question being, what is something that you are no longer doing anymore? And the third question would be, what is something that is wacky, maybe a quick fix, Adam Hansen quick fix, something different that you still do that you probably don't tell everyone that you do, something or some little bit of insight knowledge to people so they're the three questions we're going to talk about today and we're going to do three of each from those topics so i've pretty much left it over to you and given you some time to do some research (laughs) and i'm just going to sit back and listen and comment so let's just start with the first three things are you happy with that format yep great well let's start with the first three and that is things that you're currently excited about we we'll have to say um, composites, composites, Carp- carbon fiber, fiberglass, um, stuff like this. Uh, so you know, with my shoes, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've okay, I've been doing it for a long time, but it, it still excites me. Uh, it's it's actually never ending, and it's kind of good in the way I like, like especially for me. It's not a job for me, so I can take my time. The thing with composites is, that, you know, there's a standard way of doing things. Well, let's say you have your end product and then you have at the start of the end product, whatever that is, if it's just a car part or a pair of cycling shoes, whatever, and then you have a bunch of tools and a bunch of material and then you have to work out how you're going to get from A to B. And for me is over the years of making different shoes, 
you'll you'll think of a different method and different layup and uh if you're going to do like uh uh, use a silicon mold or a hard mold or a, a, with an, a female a male mold <clears throat> and then you'll follow that process it could take you know a month to do and I could start on one project and then halfway through it I'll be at a bike race or something I'll get a different idea and I'll be like okay finish the one you do the, the method you're doing and then start the next one when you get back and just you know being into composites also watching other guys what they do on YouTube and you know saying oh will that method work or maybe it won't and that material and um, there's just there's, there's just so much out there and you can really do anything with it and it's just trying to work it out. So when you say now composites and you're watching other people on YouTube, I can't imagine you're finding a lot of people making shoes on YouTube. So are you just watching other people work carbon into different stuff? What are the people making on YouTube like you? I haven't found anything that other people are making like me. <clears throat> but what I mean by that is the problem with what I'm doing is if I was to compare what I do to someone else, it's probably like um, radio control planes, for example, where it's a super light uh, end product. Um, and that's and a lot of the material I buy is for these products also, because like for example, if you wanna buy prepeg carbon, so prepeg carbon is, um, it's carbon fiber fabric with the prepeg inside. And you don't need to mix epoxy with um, hardener to the correct ratio and then do a wet layup. So it's, 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 you buy it all together. You just throw it in the mold, vacuum it, heat it to a certain temperature, and then you get your perfect ratio of epoxy to carbon fiber. But the problem with this is the lightest I've seen is 220 grams per square meter of material, where the top layer of my shoes, the lightest I've done is 65 grams. Oh. So it's, yeah, it's a huge difference. It's more than three times um, uh, lighter. So, you know, I could use, and this is what they, and for, no one does one layer when they make like a car part, for example. Or Is that know, because it's too weak? Um, yeah, it's too weak. Like for, you know, if you're doing some type of structure, a frame of a car or even a bicycle frame, for example, there'd be more layers. And what I'm doing is, is much, much thinner. So that's why I have to do the wet layup, which is more of a, it's an older, it's an older style. Um, just because they haven't made the, uh, let me say, there's no application where you really need so thin carbon fiber. So I just, yeah, well, it's, you know, I like watching other people's ideas to just get inspired by, like, for example, when there's technical, um, if there's a really technical mold, one guy might use a silicon uh, vacuum bag because it's more flexible material and it can um, turn corners a lot better where the traditional method is just use a vacuum bag so it's just plastic and it crinkles mm. that's why sometimes when you look inside of a carbon frame it's really messy and you see the creases and that that's the creases from the vacuum bag where if you use um, a silicon it would be nice and smooth in that where I, w- where I would steal that method um, but it would be for a totally different um, idea on how I do it so I can pick up little things um, just to make uh, yeah my idea a bit easy, easier have you ever thought about, I don't know, I'm probably sure people have asked you a hundred times, but have you ever thought about making shoes for someone else? Um, yes, and there'll be two riders in the Pro Peloton using it in February this year. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Just quickly, just in case anyone doesn't know, explain what your shoes are in a nutshell. Anyone out there who hasn't seen your shoes, the Hansinos, quickly explain to them what we were just talking about and what the end product is. In short, it's a, just a carbon fiber sock. It is super lightweight. So it's basically, I took a mold of my foot in my inner soles. So the sole of the foot is my inner sole. So I don't need inner soles and inner soles can weigh up to 150 grams. So you save 150 grams there. And um, your traditional shoes is you just have a carbon flat plate and your shoes on top. Um, and if you just hold a piece of paper up in the air, you'll see it flex. And then you'll see a bond shoe that'll have the sole, like uh, we call bathtub design. And these, um, the walls of a bathtub makes that bond shoe more stiffer. So I've gone a step further and I've created the whole one piece where the carbon goes over the top and like a, a tube, for example. And this has made it a lot more stiffer. And because I, ha- I can make it more stiffer by using this method, I can use a lot less material. And that's where I can get it super lightweight. Um, so it's a custom, it's made of my foot, which means I've got to take a plug of my foot, a mold of my foot and make a plug of it. And it was so difficult to start because when you do a mold of something, there's normally one side is perfect. So when we look at a bike frame, it's perfect from the outside or a car piece, it's perfect from the outside. And the inside you see the mess in the vacuum bag material and 
uh, the peel off um, ply and everything like that but with shoes it's got to be perfect on the inside because that's got to be comfort and that's where the mold is and then it has to be aesthetic from the outside so it looks nice and presented so that's where the real hurdle was and also if you just like people when i say you know the molds take so long to make people are like yeah just 3d print it it's like well true but if you have a solid foot you can't get out of the shoe so i use different materials like aquapore which is you make a mold of your foot from this material and once it's done you just put water and the foot will come out and that was too expensive and then that company went broke so then i went to um, <laughs> silicon so i made a silicon copy of my foot which is really good um, because then you can you know pull it out because of silicon but then you've got to be careful because when you run under vacuum the silicon bends and then if your foot bends and your shoe will be like that so there's all these type of little problems you come into and this is why i really like it because it's just problem solving you know yeah, what i mean right. um you can do like i've tried so many different methods and way and there's um does it ever frustrate you are you just like all right <clears throat> i need to give this a rest for a while because i'm getting frustrated no but it's time I enjoy it and it is very time consuming but the biggest problem is that I'll be doing it the night before I have to leave you know until 2am and I've got to catch a plane and I'll be doing the final um, gluing two pieces together the carbon and it gets stressful in that sense so yeah like if I wish I had more time to do it all right well that was great um, let's move on to n- number two something else that you're excited about currently um, well our last talk was on nutrition and I am excited about nutrition yep so at the moment, it's like I'm um, really into like fasting and longevity. Um, just trying to be, you know, super healthy. Yeah, <laughs> with that, um, there's just so much out there now. We touched on our last podcast, like autophagy or pakathy, depends how you want to pronounce it, so different languages. And this is when you, you do fasting at a long enough state where your body breaks down damaged old cells and creates new cells from it. So it's a recycling phase. And... Um, tests with mice lived um, 30 to 40% longer doing this um, and at the moment we cannot register we, we cannot find a, a marker a biomarker when we're into this state but we don't we do know it does work and the reason why well you know like people always say yeah but do you really want to live longer and I was like well no I don't want to live you know longer than 80 or 90 but I want to be 50 feeling 50 at the age of 60 if I can get an the extra, quality of life exactly. be better till the day you die yeah yeah so if i can live younger longer mm. then this is it and the good thing about you know autophagy is that a lot of people having cancer today and tumors and things like that and these are actually created from older cells in the body and because we're feasting so much we're giving nutrients to these older damaged cells and we're mm. actually keeping them alive and that's what we shouldn't be doing and we, what we should be doing is doing intimate fasting or some type of fasting. There's many different methods out there and actually killing off those cells and creating new cells from it. So I'm really into this and then nutrition, health. Just on the fasting, just before we move off that, have you been into implementing any fasting this week while we've been here or is that something you do away from the race? It's much easier after the race. Yeah. There's always like, um, you know, different goals when you're fasting. So for example, if you do a water fast, um, if you just want like a low calorie intake as a as your fasting goal, then having coffee, for example, is okay in that fasting state. But if you actually want a cleanse, cleansing of your um, your gut biome, then coffee is actually not good in, the, in that type of fasting state. So it depends what your goal is and what type of fasting you're doing. Um, and for me, what I like to do is at least, you know, every second day have a good 12 hours of actually no food in your stomach because they say it takes between six to eight hours for your, for your body to actually cleanse your um, your stomach and get get everything out. And what we're actually doing is, and <clears throat> also that time is once the food's gone through it. So, you know, to get that, those um, six to eight hours is quite difficult because if you're eating, you know, eight o'clock and then four hours for the food to go through it and then you get up and then you're eating, you know, seven o'clock or, um, and then we do eat a bit later sometimes. So it is actually kind of difficult. So I try and, you know, have a bit of a break. Um, I try and, yeah, just, I try and do it as much as possible. Like if we're at a grand tour, I'd definitely have a, like a fasted 24 hours. So I won't have um, food uh, the night of that stage. Before the rest day, I won't have breakfast and I won't have lunch. And then I do a 24 hour fast. Nice. That's a great idea. Yeah, oh, on, on the on the the grand tour, and I just think of that. I definitely notice. Sorry to interrupt on that. On the grand tour theory, is that there comes a period where you almost feel blocked because you haven't given your body enough time 
from to recover because you just it's it's using energy to to eat exactly you just constantly digest right constantly putting food down your stomach and constantly digesting mm. and i think it's um yeah this is not exactly healthy well we're doing grand tour is not healthy but just to have a break um yeah you just feel so much better afterwards because we we could go down a rabbit hole with that and i'm i'm sensing we should move on to the next one what's something else you're excited about currently um, I've got this new gig with um, Liamo, so it's uh, it's uh, motion analyzer of the body, riding, um, and for me this is it's actually a really cool device. And using it, uh, it's just for me it's really made a new spark in my cycling. Um, I love I love it how you know it's it, for me it's like when the power meter came out. This is really cool, and we actually see what we're doing. And mm. okay, Liamo is not um, so big now where you can compare from one rider to another. You know, we finish a, a race, for example, and, you know, your sprinter wins or nothing happens. And um, us guys who do the work, we, we got no, nothing to brag about or talk about, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to have the power where you can see, oh, well, you know, today was a tough day. You know, you did normalized power of 320 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's something that we, you know, just made cycling a bit more interesting. And so for me with this limo, it's, um, yeah, it's just um, made me look more into the scientific background into cycling more and, yeah, made me be more focused on my training and just trying to be more, it's going to sound crazy, a bit more professional. Quickly explain, if you can, what it is. So basically you put these little sensors, yeah, so you have five of them, and you put them on your feet, your your quads, and then your, your pelvic, and it measures, um, just measures what your limbs do. So runners use it also, um, and in cycling, you know, it measures like the top of the range and the, the bottom of the range. So we have leg angle range, so the top you stroke to the bottom and, and you find out that range and you can actually compare from your left leg to your right leg. But the amazing thing is it actually works out what happens between. So, you know, a lot of riders have a slowdown in the stroke. And this is, for me, it's it's really, it's like the, there's also like a dead spot score too and measures your dead spots. And I've tested a lot of riders and, you know, I could put, you know, Tim Wellens, Rowan Dennis, Victor Campanats, myself, and just put, you know, the, the, what the system reads out, and you can just see from the best to the worst riders from the data, and it's wow. really that clear. Yeah, it's it's um, it's pretty scary in that. So, sense. is it is it then true from what you've seen so far that the best riders is a combination of their physical ability, but also the way that they actually pedal a bike? Then, yeah, it's how fluid they are. Yeah, right. Now it could just be you know coincidence. But yeah, it's it, it makes total sense because like let's just if you just talk about the accelerometer on the leg, I've seen I've seen like bad riders where the accelerometer actually slow down and then you have to reaccelerate again, and it's quite a lot. Which and this is an, an M- MPI that we haven't really created for the device yet. This is something that um, we've just discovered. We should be able to punch out a number to say you know you're actually losing you know twelve percent or eight percent efficiency, and that's an extra you know time you have to fire that muscle up as you on the downstroke. You're referring to now simply on the on a downward stroke of the thigh of the thigh, just the thigh, not the foot, the the thigh. thigh. So with the foot, your foot changes the angular. Um, so in the foot we use, there's also accelerometer there, but a gyro, and with the gyro on the x-axis, so that's where like the pedal is pointing, that might change a bit as you downstroke, and yes, you lose power because you should be more fluid there. It's not, in my opinion, it's not so important if you're changing the um, the x-value in the gyro because there's always power applied. Mm. But when the accelerometer changes on your thigh and it slows down, then it's really power loss. Have you found out why someone would pedal like that? Because it just seems like to me, and I might be one of those people, I've got no idea. It seems like to me very odd that once you trigger your muscle to to push down, that during the downward stroke, it would re- it would relax and then reapply yeah. pressure. Why, why is that happening? It sounds a bit crazy and we never saw it until we actually had the, the, yeah. the sensors on us. Um, well, the, the most simple, easiest common reason why is when you what we call ankling so you've actually fired your quad and you cannot hold that gear your your calf is not strong enough and then your heel actually drop below the the pedal spindle and then once you're actually getting at the bottom of your pedal stroke and you've slowed down the intensity you're pushing your quad your your calf is actually picked up again and you're actually pushing with your calf and then your leg goes up and then you've let me say gain traction again if you know what i mean mm. so this is the most common way um and you can fix this with um, better cleat position strengthening of the calf muscles for example um, and that's the most common one um but others is more like sometimes i feel that you 
you know when you're like if you're pushing a really big gear so let's say you're doing strength training in the hills and you're doing 50 cadence at 350 380 watts and you fire into that into that pedal stroke and it's too hard and you know you've sort of you've lacked off a little mm. and you've sort of found that middle ground where you can accelerate so yeah. you actually do it and these are the moments we're talking about so what you want to do is just annihilate that and just be more fluid and more smooth mm. have you what so what about you um, I'm not the the best cyclist, but I've definitely improved it with the system. That's for sure. Yeah. Have you noticed the results while out there riding? Yeah, you. Well, you know how sometimes you know when you're in really good form and you just you're just so smooth on the bike, you mm. feel really good compared to your second rest day in a Grand Tour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, it's you know when you're really dialed on your bike, it's like that. That's the difference. Yeah, you just and a good example. I can just feel it. You almost feel like you're. You're comfortable in the saddle and you can just yeah. sort of pedal. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Mm. And when you look at a guy like Victor Kampelnantz, it's like, no wonder no wonder he's the world hour record. He's just so fluid and he's, it's, he's really like, him and the bike is one piece. Let's move on now to then things that you're currently not doing anymore that you used to do, that you used to love, or maybe not just love. Did. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, um, I have not caring about other people's opinions. <laughs> nice one. I like it. So previously, you used to. Yeah, I think so. But probably not. How I feel now is as I'm getting older and um, and I feel more successful as I get older and not how, how old are you? Uh, thirty eight. Yeah, right. And not just um, on the bike. I mean, more mean off the bike. But also, when I look back on my life, um, a lot of the decisions that have put me where I am is because I didn't worry about what other people thought. And I feel if you worry too much about other pe- people's opinions it really you, you're, you're starting to live other people's lives and you're not really doing what you want to do and if you have the ability to make good choices then just just do what you believe in and this can be like um i can say like when i first moved to czech republic everyone's against it why why there and you know and i was i was into before before i was a cyclist i was into software and i um, used to write valuation software for um, Heron and Ted White property valuers in Australia and um, basically if someone was to get borrowed money um, from the bank uh, the bank would send out a valuer and they would put into the system that I wrote um, you know what the part what was the house like the size and the area and the street and we would compare the values to other houses and that and we would give it a market value and the bank would go okay it's worth x amount and we will loan you 70 percent of that money to get a loan so I was into um, property before cycling and when I came to Europe and I moved to Czech Republic. It sort of hit me then as like, actually, technically, according to the EU, every country's in the EU, Czech is a great country to invest in, in real estate. And yeah, I invested a lot of money there. And I know everyone's like, yeah, but why are you living there? Why aren't you moving here? And, you know, all the cyclists are there. And, and it's just like these little decisions where, you know, just just make your own decisions life and this is you know as the years gone on and Czech's economy is so good and because I invested so much money in property there and property's gone up huge um, just you know small decisions like this that mm. really make a difference or when I turned pro I was like doing these massive long rides and guys in my hometown are like oh, are you training too much and why are you doing this you should be doing this and and it's like well now I'm professional now and you guys did, you didn't turn pro, so maybe what I did do was, you know, maybe, I'm not saying it was the reason, but... Did you struggle with, or did you, where did you find that confidence in your own decision making? Was that through research and knowledge and just going, you know what, if I look into things and understand the knowledge behind my decisions, I can be confident in them because I've done my own research? Yeah, when you have more confidence, you're willing to do anything. Mm. And um, if we want to compare it to cyclists, you see sprinters, they think they can go through any hole when they're they're confident in the bunch. Um, But I think as you get older and you get more successful, yeah, you really stop worrying what other people think and you just live your own life and you make your own choices in your way and you believe in those, those choices. You know, I look back on my life and I'm here today because of the decisions I made. And if I really, really worry about what other people think, I think you just restrict yourself in your life too much. That's a really good point because often too, you when you make that decision for yourself, you're going to make that work. Yeah. Opposed to if someone 
helped you make that decision sometimes you're second guessing it and going i don't know yep. whereas if you if you make it you're like god damn it i'm gonna make this work all right yeah because yeah. you know you put your name to it great one all right what else you got there what are you currently not doing anymore stressing nice one <laughs> wow simple as that simple as that you know it's just uh stressing is just a feeling it's just it's just uh emotion that you create yourself there's no reason to stress and and i, I like i know people probably listening going yeah but you know i got this problem this problem that's true we, we you know we all have problems and we all have, and, and i do stress i'm not saying i'm perfect at it but stressing brings nothing it doesn't um, help achieve any situation you're in you know whatever happens at night you'll still go to bed and wake up the next day what are you doing to help yourself realize when you are stressing do you catch yourself are you like oh right just pull that up let that go or i'm just going to be late if i have to be late i'm going to be late is that something you are aware of when you are oh stressing? yeah definitely yeah I, like first i always get stressed that's just you know <laughs> it's, it's not like i'm immune to stress but like i like i have a lot of my plate i do a lot of things and and i do get stressed and then it's like well just just calm down it's not going to fix anything um you're just gonna create more problems you're not going to think straight and everything's going to be okay and if it's not then you know you can't change it normally you stress because something has gone wrong and you can't fix what's gone wrong that's happened you can you know you can make different choices and decisions to improve where you where the the problem went wrong but it's it's okay it's and i think you know i think a lot of times it's okay when something goes wrong it's okay to like i always think um this this bit off, off topic is what worries me a little with mobile phones today is when people are sitting at a bus stop for example they got five seconds on their hand they bring out the phone and they mm. just look at the feed and it's like well just you know leave the phone in the pocket and just mm. just embrace that lonely loneliness you know what i mean and just take it in and, and it's okay it's okay and i'm like that when i when i get stressed it's like if there's a big problem it's like no no it's okay you know this is it's not the end of the world and okay i have another problem i got to sort out it's going to be sorted and if it's not this is the way it's going to be can you give me an example of yourself whenever it was when you were stressing and you weren't aware of it in the race in a bike race and now when you come to that situation how you'll handle it differently or how you do handle it differently a good example when for me anyway i used to get stressed was uphill start really tired maybe stage 15 16 of a grand tour getting dropped stressing about trying to stay with the peloton to stay in the race and what i understood was after a little time was it was it was swain tough to help me realize that doesn't matter we can just keep riding and we'll get there and that was just a simple thing that i always kept in my head and ultimately i i wasn't getting dropped as much and it was just i was actually killing myself with the stress i can't get dropped here it's only 2k in and i was getting dropped because of that that internal dialogue and i've noticed that switch whether that was over a couple of years or whether i was talking to him but that's for me was a situation that i'm more aware of that doesn't happen as much anymore yeah he's he's exactly right and i i have the exact same mentality it's like um if you get dropped and you know there's and it's okay to be dropped it's it's not the end of the world too and you get dropped and you see riders panic and sometimes i won't even like if like i know you know we have that moment where it's like okay i can try and sprint to get back on and if Mm. i get back on i'll get dropped again anyway or i can just keep going my pace save a bit and maybe you know the situation turns better and even those situations i'm just like no no i just you know, what's worst case you'd be in the cars it's pretty easy in the cars actually yeah. a lot of times <laughs> sometimes it's better to be you know behind the second car and in the cars and that than to um try and hang on a lot longer and i always say like it is pretty hard unless it's okay if it's an uphill finish uh, uphill just at the start it's pretty hard not to make the time limit mm. you know what i mean okay if it's a you know three mountain stage and 90 kilometers okay then um these are the, the super hard days also but even it's, you know, if you just, like Sven said, if you just keep going, I always say no matter what happens, you'll be sleeping in your hotel room that night. That's actually something that's also got me through from our first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> when it's not necessarily in that situation, but when it's been freezing cold, raining, whatever, and I just go, you know what? We've already done an hour and a half, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be an hour and a half more left of this stage, so I'm already halfway through. And probably in two hours' time, I'm going to be back in the hotel. So that was... That was one piece of great advice you said in my head yeah. for those hard days. Very good. All right, what else have we got there? The last last one of things you're not doing anymore. <laughs> um, back to nutrition, high-protein diets. Whoa. <laughs> 
So you were back on the Atkins diet back in the day, were you? No, no, no. I'm not into Atkins either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean that was a diet? Yeah. Um, well, uh, the funny thing is the guy that invented Atkins diet died of cardiovascular disease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's not the, the healthiest diet either. Um, yeah, no high-protein diets anymore. So I do, I do my protein intake different. And, you know, I looked into nutrition and everything. And you, so basically to protein synthesis, very important for us. We need to recover. So we have to have a, a, a good amount of protein. And the thing is, if you have 35 to 40 grams of protein, it's about three to four grams of leucine. And that type of branch chain amino acid, you go into protein synthesis, so, so recovery. And the other thing that activates protein synthesis for recovery is um, exercise. So if you exercise and then you consume high amounts of protein afterwards, um, you go into anabolic estate and you recover better. And then you hear all these numbers where you should be having, depending on your body weight, like 150 to 180 grams of protein a day. What I found out was is if you just have 10 grams of protein here in the morning in like a protein bar with maybe you know 15 grams or in there, and if you just spread your protein consumption out throughout the day and get your 180 um, grams of protein through the day, you might not actually have enough at one moment to go into protein synthesis. Mm. So what I do is more periodize when I have it. So um, I try and stay off it around breakfast if I have breakfast and then um, training. Okay, have you 40 or maybe even 50 grams of protein after uh, your training to maximize your um, recovery for your training. And if it's a super hard day, then have another hit. So more, let's say if my goal in the past was you know 150, 180 grams per day, I might just have um 100 grams a day or even 80 grams a day but two shots of mm. 40 each just to create that anabolic effect of um yeah protein synthesis but why would you why would you want to reduce that protein intake why would you want not not want to have it in the morning as well why have you gone off that um there's been a lot of um studies where like i read a really good book um proteinaholics so humans are turned into you know everything protein and um, I really believe, and there's, you know, I think a lot of things are, uh, how do I say it, um, funded by organizations and that, like, especially the fitness, you know, there's, uh, you know, protein bars and protein everything, and you're just constantly consuming protein. And protein's not an energy source. It can be converted as an energy, but it's not an energy so- source. So, you know, having so much protein before a race is not so beneficial. You know, you should be having carbohydrates before a race because, you know, carbs are our best energy source. But if you talk about, um, you know, animal protein is, you know, this has been um, proven not to be healthy at all. And the funny thing that I, I, I looked into was um, <clears throat> all your protein serves and all your protein shakes and everything's around 30, 33 grams. And they say if you have over 35 grams of animal protein, then it's really bad for your kidneys. And there was this one number I read, I think it was like 14%, or was it 40%, don't quote me, it's one of them, or 40 or 14% of Americans have kidney-related diseases that aren't even aware of it. Mm. And it's because of overconsumption of animal protein. And the good thing about plant protein is you can have higher doses, still healthy for you, and go into a, a better protein synthesis. So is it... Moving away from the animal protein or just I'm just talking about protein in general, yeah. is it for you non-beneficial to have protein first thing in the morning because it's just you don't need it, your body doesn't actually need it for recovery? Is that the whole reasoning behind that? Depends the day before and the session everything. Um, yeah, I will stay off it. Hmm. Um, just just on a pure recovery, sort of what the body would need at that moment, not recovery, but... Yeah, well, as a trained athlete, we're always taking protein. Mm. Um, so I don't think we need to just... Um, like, I, I see people have, you know, like they have the oats and they'll sprinkle protein powder on it, but mm. they might just sprinkle a bit on it. And if, okay, if you haven't recovered properly for the next day, yes, I'll have, you know, enough protein to um, go to protein synthesis again to speed up your recovery. But if... If I haven't, um, you know, done anything difficult, to, so if I have a rest day the next day, if I'm going training, there should be no reason why I should be consuming protein. And it's not that, you know, be anti-protein. It's just like, well, just have we have when enough. You need it. Yeah, yeah, we have enough.
All right, let's move on to our last topic, either wacky or weird things or Adam Hans's quick fixes. What are you going to go for here, mate? <laughs> okay, quick fixes are wacky. Um, every time I buy a laptop, I always... <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I always um, I cut the the um the power cable and i always buy a normal electric cable two or three meters and i'd resolder the ends on just so i have a longer cable because as you know as we travel there's nothing worse than having a short laptop <laughs> cable so yeah this is the number one thing and what i do is i change the plug so a lot of um well the laptops i buy a bit more um high performance so they have the you know the big european yeah thing you can hit some guy in the back of the head and kill him <laughs> so i take that off and i put a you know the slimline one oh yeah yeah so I put that on because you don't need um the earth for a lot of these laptops so i run that and it's easy so you mean like the one that fits in the italian plug yep yeah right yep. so in italy they've got these little holes and then when you come with the normal euro one they don't fit in yep. there exactly exactly so you can do that can yeah. i bring my things up and get them re rewired sure <laughs> If you tell me what laptop you have, I can actually give you the cable. Because um, I got I got all the stuff at home. So, so well, you just cut it open and then rewire it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's good because a lot of the cables they're pretty um they're pretty thick, and uh, so I make it a, a bit of thinner, uh, better quality cable and just more thinner and just packs nicer in your backpack and it's smaller and it's longer and um yes yeah, these little things really help. <laughs> That's brilliant. Great. What else you got there? Probably my wacky thing is my laptop bag. Okay. So my backpack. Um, I have a backpack that I go everywhere with and it's always packed. <laughs> and it's like my little office in there and it's just got like everything in there from like, like I have a, um, a toiletry bag I keep in my suitcase, but in my backpack I also have a toothbrush and toothpaste in there also. I have... Is that emergency or is that you like to clean your teeth along the way? Um, also, but... If something goes wrong, well, I've got to go somewhere quickly. I just grab this bag. It's got everything in there. Like you don't I, even have to think. You can literally be out the door in one minute. Yeah. Like I keep my um, travel wallet in there with my passport. So all my passports are already in there. My travel wallet's in there. Uh, maybe my laptop's not in there. Um, I've got, I've even got um, spare forks and knives in there, napkins, um, wet towels in there also. Where is uh, this backpack? Can I see it? Oh, it's in, locked in my suitcase in there. Oh. What brand is it? <laughs> it's uh, Peak Design. Okay. Um, not sponsored by them. It is the best company for backpacks ever. They are so good, so good quality. Good little hidey hose everywhere. They, they have, seriously, it is the best. It's, they're actually designed for cameramen um, and they've got, because uh, I don't like the backpacks where you got top entry and you got a small hole. Where this is, you got dual entry. Actually, got three entries, so you can go through the top, or you can open up the sides. And in the sides, they open up, and then um, you've just got like everything can fit in there. And it's got um, mine's a like a thirty liter, but it packs down to I think like a like a seventeen liter, so you can actually extend it too, but still looks nice, um, full waterproof. But it's just got yeah everything in there, like everything. Like you name any, um, like I've got all the cables already in there for traveling. Um, or if, if it's an emergency and I have to go to a bike race, I just got to bring a, a skin suit, my shoes fit in, and that's it. And I've just got, I'm happy with that. And what I like about backpacks is I know everyone uses trolleys. You see, every, oh, the guys are trolleys. Like I've been in so many situations at the airport where you have to run, and with the trolley, it's a nightmare. And also, I think I, I'm a backpack man too. One time I was made me 100% convert to backpack. I was on the border of trolley or backpack. I didn't know. One time I got on a flight and they didn't let... I was with Chris Sutton. They didn't let his bag on the flight. Yeah. You know, when you get right to the door, yeah. put it under. Yeah. So, he put it under. He didn't think anything of it. We got to the other end. His bag didn't turn up. That carry-on bag. It was a late-night flight into Barcelona. His keys were in that bag. Didn't have keys to his apartment. I was just like, what a disaster. Yeah. So, I was just like, never again. Yeah, also... <clears throat> with flights I like my backpack by my feet too exactly I don't like um, and it's good because you know when you've got the trolleys and some of the planes we catch the truck block's full and to find a place in the overheads for your trolley is impossible plus Where, there's no hidey hose in a trolley like you can't yeah. just quickly put something in no nah. gotta lay it down get nah. it in and when you can put your backpack by your feet you can board last you know there's a place for you you can access it the whole flight don't yeah. have to get up exactly 
great one. All right, what have we got? What's the last thing you got there? Um, I don't know. I'm stuck on the third one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm in other people's houses, I've got to fix everything I see that's broken. This is something I have to do. It's I need to get you over at our house for a while. <laughs> Seriously. What about what is what's your what's your morning routine like these days? At this race. Yeah, run me through <laughs> so tomorrow I like to set the alarm with enough time, minimum 2 hours before we're going. <laughs> I'm the opposite. Yeah, right. So you sleep okay. right to the the wire. So I'll probably wake up 30 minutes before we're meant to get out of here. Really? Yeah, but I have super late nights, super late nights. Like I'm up until 2 or 3 in the morning. I'm not a good sleeper. Okay. Um so I'm up super late and I'll I'll set the alarm <laughs> like um, there's legends night dinner tonight right so we didn't have time to have the debriefing tonight and then they said oh we'll have it 8 10 in the morning <laughs> and I was thinking okay that cuts about half an hour of my sleep it's like directly so um, as you saw I have my oven in the room <laughs> yeah that's something we should talk about yeah <laughs> so I have an oven so I got my own room so I've got the oven there and I've been you know cooking my own food at night I've got a Nutribullet just behind you um, so I've already made my breakfast in the morning and sitting in the fridge. So I've got overnight oats there um, with some dates and bananas. And um, yeah, so I've got my breakfast already made. And I'll literally <laughs> get up, boil the water, make my own coffee, grab my bowl, come back in bed. And then I'll just have breakfast right here. <laughs> and What I'll do just, you do while you're having breakfast in bed? I listen to the news. Huh. Um, on the radio? No, on, on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... I like um, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. So, actually, I, I watch a lot of the American news and, you know, with all impeachment and everything, so mm. I've been following that quite a bit. Um, yeah, a bit about the economy, science news. Um, you yeah. still in the instant coffee? Just the instant coffee, yep. yeah. It's okay. Um, it's not too bad. So, it's not bitter. It's a good thing. That's what I like about instant coffee. If you don't have sugar or you don't have milk. Um, it's drinkable. Yeah, it's it's good. Freeze dried, drinkable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you sit down and you have your breakfast, and then like this is all within like guess fifteen minutes. Yeah, and then I put my numbers on, and then I get dressed and I just walk out. And that's it. <laughs> I go straight to the van. Because I was saying that I, we all eat in this big dining hall here, which we discussed last year, but I hadn't seen you there all week, and I just came up tonight. I'm like. Mate, have, has your team not been eating in the hotel? He said, well, I don't know really what they're doing, but I know I'm eating up here. And um, <laughs> that's what he was doing. He was making his breakfast in his little oven and making his breakfast in here before he went out. Yeah, so I know um, a lot of guys go to the sushi train directly afterwards. So they have their big meal there. And then going to dinner is just uh, a little touch-up. I've actually been there once this year so far. So I, had, I was there for one dinner and that was... Because we won one stage and we're going to have dinner together. So I went there. It was pretty funny. Like, we went there and then guys already ate before. And then Roger came down and goes, oh, let's go out and eat. And I was like, okay. Then <laughs> So we're all eating at different places and that. But, yeah, just to – I don't know. I just like to um, – because I really need my downtime, you know. Just mm. this, this race is uh, – you know, it's, it's nice. It's all easy and everyone's together. But it's just – you know, everyone's together. And, <laughs> and it's easy. Yeah, easy it's access. Easy, easy access. That's true. Great, mate. Well, thank you again. I hope we can record the next annual next this time next year. On a personal note, I hope we can catch up a lot more before then. Sounds good. Thanks for having me again. Thanks, mate. Well, there we have it. He had some pretty good insights there and I certainly love the last segment of that when he was just getting into all that quirky stuff that he does and I really wasn't surprised. Well, I was surprised but I wasn't. I knew he'd have some gems there, you know, cutting his laptop cable and rewiring it. Who the hell does that, you know? Um, I have actually since heard that there is one other person out there that does it. Michael Friedberg apparently does the same thing and I guess what, I was not surprised to hear that either. I could listen to Adam Hansen talk about pretty much anything, Mitch. But what I'm interested in is how did you come up with this idea of these kind of these three core questions? Well, I have a few podcasts that I listen to myself and one of them being Tim Ferriss, who he talks about a whole range of things. And he actually was talking to a friend of his, um, a doctor friend of his, and he had this idea where he was asking these three questions more or less around the same idea. 
I was listening to it and I was thinking, I, I really love the podcast. I was thinking, hang on, I know a guy like that. I've got a, a doctor friend, you know, in inverted commas, Adam Hansen. He, I reckon this would fit him perfect. And I, pre- I presented the idea to him and he just gave me the thumbs up and a message and I thought, right, let's go for it. I mean, he's quite a, well, he's a he's a, an original thinker, isn't he? And um, I, I wonder what your perspective on his incredible run of consecutive grand tours was i mean there was uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head now how many he got up to but it was certainly double figures in a row wasn't it of riding the the giro the tour and of welter year after year i mean you've completed these three-week races as well mitch i mean what is it that somebody needs in order to even set themselves that as a target once let alone do it multiple times well we i actually talked to him about this in the previous podcast i've done go back and have a listen in my catalog and we discuss it when he was at number 19 i think he finished at 21 um and one thing that blew my mind about that record alone was the fact that he never was sick or injured that he just physically even if he wanted to just couldn't complete it And that was something I spoke to him about at the time. And he said, well, you could say that. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, and apparently he finished there one year with, you know, broken ribs and a fractured, you know, shoulder and things like that. So things that he's done that just, you just to do that record itself, uh, just without bad luck and just the psychological side of things year in, year out being able to do it and he actually told me that he he just loved the routine of it it just allowed him so much more time at home he did the race but then in between the races he knew he had that downtime he had his three weeks or four weeks of training they used to do kept it really simple you know a week of base a week of strength a week of speed and he was in the next race and when you said it like that i was like actually sounds pretty easy maybe i should go for the record <laughs> oh i don't want to say it mitch but you, you may have left it a bit late to to try and do 20 in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, look, I don't think I've got that physique um, and definitely not that kind of lifestyle now with the kids and the family. I'd just be probably shot after I got home by my wife if I did that. But um, I do love love seeing Adam in the races and that's just a great guy to chat to. And as you can see from this podcast, you can talk to him about anything out there and he's always got something really interesting to say we're talking about racing mitch what have you been doing recently to try and replace the the road racing that that's not going on at the moment i actually did this test event today for the virtual tour of swiss and it's run by this company called ruby which is essentially like swift but a bit different it's literally video footage of a road of the course and they've got like a, it's like a real avatar on there, a person, you know, with, they've filmed, I guess, and they've put them on there. So it's quite different to Zwift, but the same theory. And we did this race today. It was a 26K race. It took an hour and it was hard. It was very hard. It was just climbing, a small descent and climbing. But I was pretty proud of myself. I finished sixth there today. Um, right behind Bilbao, Walt Piles, I was only just two places in front of me. So I was climbing like a demon out there. I set a new hour best record. Uh, I tell you what, this Swift is doing me wonders. So this is going to be a five-day stage race. Uh, as, as we speak, we're talking on Tuesday afternoon. So the, the race itself starts on Wednesday. And I gather people are going to be able to watch it on TV as well. Um, I know that here in the UK, it's going to be shown uh, by the BBC online. I don't know what that will be really like to watch. Um, it is a funny, funny thing because there's no drafting in it. So it's essentially like just doing a time trial and another guy rides past you and you try and ride past him and whoever's stronger wins, more or less. That's that's more or less what it is. Whoever's strong on the day wins. There's not too many tactics about it. Um, so I don't know how it'll go for viewing. I'm interested to see that. But um, at this moment, I'm, I'm liking my chances. Well, we'll catch up next time on, uh, on how you've got on. But I'll, uh, I'll be tuning in, I think, to see how, see how you do. Yeah, and it's, it's just making this time in this period, you know, a bit more interesting. We've got, I wouldn't say I felt nervous, but I definitely felt more nervous than when I just jump on there every morning and do my training session. I was like, well, I better have something properly proper to eat and I better have my bottles ready and... Once the gun went off, I uh, I got into it and, and got going. So it's definitely giving us something a little bit extra during this period of um, of lockdown and of, of no racing. 
So it's been fantastic. And well, Mitch, we've got a couple of episodes coming up in May, which uh, would have been around the time the Giro d'Italia was on. On the Cycling Podcast, we're doing daily coverage of our Giro, an alternative Giro d'Italia, which, uh, well, tune in to, to find out what we, exactly we've got planned. But um, hopefully you've got a couple of Giro-themed episodes, or at least one Giro-themed episode in the pipeline, perhaps? Yeah, so I'm going to have a look at trying to get the crew back together of the infamous 2014 stage win by Green Edge in the team's time trial and that was a real band of brothers there that that crew um, some of my good mates still now we just had a great time on that Giro and we ended up finishing only with two riders Michael Hepburn and Swain Tuft and I was the third last guy to last there but it was we all started guns blazing and ended with two guys so it's quite an incredible story I'm going to try and get those guys together this week and uh, have a chat to all of them and talk some tales from 2014 so hopefully i can get that together for you guys in two weeks time excellent excellent i'll look forward to that uh, it's a race i remember well because we went to ireland for the grande patenza which was in belfast that's where the team time trial was and then marcel kittle won both road stages i think didn't he one in one in belfast and one in dublin um, but it was a great weekend over there in ireland and uh well, I didn't follow it back to Italy that year, but I remember watching uh, as the Orica Green Edge team basically controlled the whole of the first week, didn't you? Yeah, we had some fun days there and um, yeah, riding myself into the ground specifically, I remember a couple of days. Uh, and I was just remembering then there was the Barry stage, which was down in Sicily and it rained and actually neutralised that stage and it was like ice, like it was so slippery and there was people going crazy and crashing and it was it was an amazing sort of um tour that one there's a lot of stuff that happened and i'm sort of looking forward to fleshing that one out uh with the boys over the next coming weeks so if you guys haven't heard it make sure you go back and listen to the talking luft series which is happening back on life in the peloton's old feed it's just a little 10 minute segment which is going to feature every guest that we're doing here on the cycling podcast um life in the peloton podcast and then i've just grabbed them for a little 10 minutes after every uh, recording and just gone ask them some cheeky questions so it's a little extra special package there for everyone if they want to go and check that out i've got adam hansen as well after this episode that'll be released next wednesday so make sure you go check that out but until then guys you know in two weeks time we'll have hopefully that Giro episode and some more cycling podcast episodes coming up so thanks for tuning in cheers You have been listening to Life in the Peloton. The producer of this episode was Will Jones. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Thanks, mate.